Welcome to Stories in the Landscape Conversations on StoryArchaeology.com. This is just one of the conversations with the Gifted Irie Project Competition winners. Now I get to talk with Lee Fenlon, one of our Irie winners. Lee created a spectacular image of Boand, all in leaded glass. But Lee, before we talk about the image, please tell us something about yourself. Hi, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me and asking me to do this. Um, I'm 47 from McLone. Recently, we retired from a job I did for 23 years. Was yes. started staying glass late 2018 into 2019. Um, and actually found out I was good at it. I did it out of a need, a necessity to do a few bits around the house or whatever I thought. Maybe I'll teach myself how to make a few windows and save myself a few pounds. And it kind of took off from there. Um, wow. So you did it basically as a, a semi-retirement hobby and just discovered it was something that you were really, really interested in then. Oh, oh, definitely, for sure. Yes. Yeah. My brother had started it before me, so he was the one that kind of encouraged me to, because I'd be a little more arty, I suppose, than he would. And he thought, sure, you may as well give it a go instead of, I was doing mosaics at the time. Oh, right. So, and they were tile mosaics. Yeah. Yeah. So he kind of thought you're putting as much effort into tile mosaics. You, you could do the same with stained glass and you could have something, say, you know, more substance in it. So I was going to ask you, you know, how and when did you develop your interest in art? But if you were already doing mosaics in tiles, now that's, that's skilled work. So how did you get involved in that? Well, do you know, I was hamming it. I would say that much. Um, I was chancing my arm just to have something nice out in the garden that, you know, I, with a bit of arty, I suppose, flair to it. But um, in school, I was always arty, a bit with school projects. I think it was every week you had to do something about a different country, you learn something about it, maybe draw pictures of their native leaf and stuff like that. So I kind of took to that. And I suppose as a kid as well, I used to buy bootleg tapes in one of the markets and draw the covers for them. So I'd be able to keep an eye on them and know where they were. All right. So, so that was kind of my, I was kind of, I, I kind of used the art that way too. Obviously, you're generally just good at art. Was, was it painting or drawing or, or, or how did you begin? Always drawing, I always thought. I used to like um, colouring pencils. I thought they were so versatile, you know, you could kind of blend them into each other. So that was kind of always kind of pictures in that kind of medium, maybe, especially with school. It could be anything. You could make something uh, if the project deemed it. You know, it didn't have to be just drawn, drawn art. So that kind of got me into, I think we made chronogs one year. Um, got to do with down in County Clare we were going on the school tour mm-hmm. so um, everyone kind of had to make chronogs and put them into the school and they kind of built up this little village of them oh so great so my brother yeah, yeah and I don't know where they'd be now I said they're long gone out of school we leaving cert exam for construction for construction studies I actually built St Peter's Church so in Atlone yes yeah to scale yeah and what, what materials did you use for that uh, mounting board Okay. And just drew the detail on the outside myself with pen and marker and pencil. I'm still, I suppose I'm still interested in mosaics. I've never tried mosaics, but I always wanted to. But I always thought it looks a lot more complicated. Or or maybe it is more complicated than I think it is. Uh, For me, I I actually Googled what people were doing in in the line of mosaics, uh, especially outside, something durable. I was hoping that, you know, they'd last outside with uh, the Irish weather. But um, I found on... What they call that site? 
I can't think of it, it'll come back to me. But they do, a lot of people will do up their homes and they'll always show it off online or whatever, and this was the site for it. But um, mm-hmm. they were they weren't too particular about the pictures that were drawn in the mosaics. Once they were big enough, you kind of gathered, you kind of garnered what the picture was going to be. So that's why I started skip diving in right price tiles out in the Dublin Road there and getting their tiles and kind of breaking them up myself with a tile cutter. Um, I'd already have to already mm-hmm. have the picture drawn out and lay it down, but um, I found this little genius thing you can buy. It's a square foot of adhesive pad, and you can build up your own mosaic on that and have your own mosaic tile. And it's exactly a square foot. You'll grow it in between the lines. So that was my base for the steps out in the garden. I was able to cut that shape out of that adhesive uh, mould, say, and lay all the tiles on top of it with ease, and they were all level. Did you just stick to patterns, or did you get into creating images in mosaics? Um, in the mosaics, the first image I made was a, a massive tree, because I had a lot of or brown tile. Big massive tree, I think, was the top one. I think the middle one was a house, just a little cottage with greenery and a, a blue sky around it. And the bottom one was a big, big kind of rose I made with a, a kind of a, an Art Nouveau tendril kind of sweep around the side of the tile. I was trying to make the most out of the black tiles I had at the time. Um, so I was kind of moving between, say, picture patterns that I was drawing myself and then trying to have a little border at the side of, say, a pattern, you know. Mm-hmm. I have always looked at ancient Roman mosaics and so forth and thought they were really quite difficult but it sounds as though you you've really got the knack of it and have brought them into the 21st century it sounds fantastic oh god i don't know about that no um i've seen some recently unearthed mosaics that have god been buried for what millennia nearly and very very detailed there was an old shop up in at lawn there a shoe shop and they have a mosaic down on the ground outside i think it's the the old mm. shop name um Art Deco kind of style, but absolutely so detailed with tiny little, every every little piece of tile is exactly the same size. You know, there's no variation. I, I would I would be measuring pieces now when I cut it up. But um, the, the further back you go, the more than you say Roman and Greek, the, the more detailed they were and the more, say, particular they were about the mosaic. It's, it's inspiring, really. They have good craftsmen and they have perhaps less good craftsmen. They're not all of the same standard, even if you go back thousands of years. But there were some, yeah. I saw some in, um, was it, Eastern Turkey, which were absolutely amazing. So I, I can appreciate it. It is quite an art form. Oh, definitely. And I had a friend there that is, was in Italy there in the last couple of months. And the first thing she sent me when they went on the tour was uh, a mosaic floor asking me, <laughs> what did I think of it, I suppose. <laughs> and then, of course, there's the glasswork. We should start talking about glasswork. How did how and why did you decide to work in in coloured glass? Um, as I said there a bit earlier, my brother had picked it up himself and done it from say twenty thirteen onwards for a while, but he put it to one side. You know, other things I suppose were more important. So one day when I was doing those mosaics out in the garden, I was nearly finishing up, and he told me. You know, why weren't you cutting glass and doing it like that as well? He says, you're putting as much effort into it and it'd be something that, you know, you could have indoors rather than relying on putting outdoors. So I gave it a go and that was it. He stood over me, I suppose, for a couple of weeks telling me the, the ins and outs of it. You can cut this way and this sort of glass, I suppose, is, is harder to cut. So you need to give it a more bit of pressure, I suppose, to break it. And I suppose tips and 
things like that. But I suppose with him, he would say himself, he wasn't too artistic. So he would rely on having to say, maybe buy a pattern or find a free pattern online. Where I had, uh, I suppose, the leisure of being able to draw what I wanted. And because we were working in such small pieces, you could put as much detail into it as you wanted. So the more, uh, the bigger pieces I made, the more interested I got in it. So it kind of took off from there. I was thinking about leaded glass. There's Whereas with ceramic mosaics, you're able to, as it were... Uh, uh, create a, a holder to put all these tiny pieces in. They're, they're grouted in. Must be far more careful work, working with cut glass and then lead or the lead edging as well. That must be a very different skill or a very different process, I would think. Uh, yeah, it would be because each piece of glass has to be wrapped completely in lead. Every inch of it and every side has to slot, slot into itself uh, almost like a jigsaw. And then the next piece has to slip into that and every corresponding outer edge has to fit into another piece of lead. Um, I also do the Tiffany method as well, which would be wrapping it in copper foil. So each part is, instead of having lead put around it, it'd be copper foil and folded. It just means that you're using more solder to put it together, the Tiffany method, than you would with lead. It doesn't matter which way you do it, you can still get a lot of detail either way. Do you have a preference? Yeah, the Tiffany method, it, it, for me, probably, I don't mind wrapping them in copper foil and using a bit more solder on it. I think you get you get a finer detail in it, I find. I think it sounds fantastic. I mean, you make it sound very simple, and I really know it's not. It takes a lot of skill and a lot of precision. Um, as I think I said to you, I, I do have a sister-in-law who works in stained glass, also you know, different types of uh, art glass. And I know that she talks about the leaded glass as being really quite difficult to get absolutely accurate and make it really neat. So I do know there's a lot of skill involved. It wasn't long ago I went, it was my sister-in-law took me to the Ely uh, Stained Glass Museum. It's in Ely Cathedral. And that just opens up in, in beauty of the style from medieval windows to modern artwork. And what you get is that wonderful vibrancy of, of colour with the light. I, I think it's only stained glass that can do that. It's an incredible medium. Uh, absolutely. My example of that now, especially growing up as a child, would be St. Peter's Church up around the corner from where I grew up. And they had at the time, uh, unbeknown to us, uh, a Harry Clark window. I think they actually have two Harry Clark windows. The one that we would have sat beside, I suppose, or looked looked up at was mm -hmm. the purgatory window, something I didn't know it was called either at the time. The one thing that did grab me about that window that would have fascinated me was the mix of purples, reds and blues that he had in it. Mm -hmm. And then there was this kind of a light streak of pinky purple glass and kind of brickwork, I think, going through the middle, I suppose, depicting mm. the heavens and the hells, I think, in the, in the panels. And they were just unbelievable colours, especially on a sunny day. So, yeah, that would be my love, I suppose, of the classical windows. And I, I think that was only made in the 30s. Mm. Yes, it was a pity. There were Harry Clark um, windows in Longford Cathedral, um, which were lost in the fire some years ago. But, uh, yeah, uh, incredible windows. Uh, and I, I agree, there's nothing quite like the effect of, of, of coloured glass in a building. It, it does, it creates a magical effect that I don't think you can create any other way. And that leads us, I think, straight on to your beautiful image of Barnes. Well, you entered the work into the Irie competition and project, celebrating strong female characters found so prominently in early Irish stories. So here's another 
question. Since you obviously have an interest in the Irish stories to be interested in this project, how did you become interested in Irish stories? Um, my experience, I suppose, earlier on uh, would be schooling. Um, we used to have uh, a particular school book there for a couple of years and used to have all, I suppose it wasn't the full story, full Irish stories, but it would be passages and, and bits and pieces of Irish mm-hmm. folklore and legends and that. Uh, I suppose all part of the syllabus for testing, I suppose, at the end of the year or whatnot. But um, the fact that there weren't actually full stories, the, like the story of Grania Whale and stuff like that, would have been why myself and my brother, um, when my dad would be ordering books from the Book Club of Ireland or whatever, ask him to get, you know, something Irish or something, you know, whatever their choice at the time was. Mm-hmm. So when he had it read, we'd read it, especially the Irish ones and uh, our National Geographic used to buy a lot of that stuff as well. Um, and that's where our kind of, I suppose, thirst for knowledge, we didn't have internet at the time. And I suppose between that and the library, there was always a, always a great selection of books up in that loan library there. Um, I was doing the project, as I said, mm-hmm. on St. Peter's Church. So there was only so many books about architecture that you could rent out or take out at the time. So I was filling up the other book quota, I suppose, with Irish stuff, anything got to do with uh, Ireland or, or anything like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, there's only so many books about. I think this is what I've discovered over the years is that, that there are plenty of books on old Irish stories, but they all seem to be translations that come from the early part of the 20th century. And there are so many stories which just never got told. And it's so good to hear about some of the ones that are lesser known. You know, everybody hears stories about Cullen or about Finn McCall or, you know, Deirdre of the Sorrows. But, um, you know, Bow and, and particularly before that, Shinnan, were less, less, they were not known as well as they could have been. And I think you um, you first got involved about the time when the Shinnan competition took place. Isn't isn't that right? That's right, yes. Um, the Shinnan competition, I think it was 2021. Um, it was, yeah. And piqued my interest the minute I had seen and read and, and been told about it. And especially, I suppose, coming from Athlone and growing up only what, yards away from the Shannon, um, I suppose it was a given that I was going to enter it. But um, I did notice, I suppose, at the time, uh, reading about Shannon, that uh, Boand had a lot of similar uh, backstory and lore, I suppose, um, than Shannon did. Now, Shannon seemed to have more, and it's why I kind of gave her the benefit of the doubt and went and said that, she would, I suppose, be the the true owner of that backstory. But um, well, as you know well, Boand was a very important character. So strongly connected was she to the Bruna Boyne and to the prosperity and fertility of the White River. She has some great stories as well. After all, she is the mother of Oingus, the young son. Now, Shinnan also has great stories, including her quest to the well in Conless Realm, the bottom of the sea. So you don't really need to choose between them as they're both quite separate and different. It was just a Eugene O'Curry story in the 19th century. He seems to have decided to conflate Boand and Shinnan's stories. But Shinsuke Lella. However, while we're talking about Shinnan, you know all about the travesty of the river god sculpture that was set up in Athlone. I do, actually, and and it was all in around the same time as well. We're seeing, I suppose, between social media and, and talking to people, a lot of people were confused in town what it was or what it represented. I suppose being Irish or, or growing up in Ireland, you, you always assume that nearly every goddess, it's always goddesses of river, there was never gods. That's true. Always female iconography for... I didn't 
particularly like it myself doing in that lawn. And it wasn't until after, I suppose, the competition that I spoke to Ralph when he was back in that lawn that, um, yeah, I, he wasn't a fan of it either. I would, I, I would hope that there's maybe a chance that it could get replaced with something a little more um, accurate, I suppose, in the future. Connected with Shannon. She's had, yeah, she's had too much being ignored over the years, I think. But um, I'm glad you met up with Ralph. Would you like to describe what the river god image in Athlone looks like? Because you live there and you've seen it. Uh, It's quite like an an English statue you'd usually see. Neptune-y, kind of Englishy Greek, you know, Neptune, it kind of has curls for here. The backside of it is kind of hollowed out and has what would look like uh, how would you call it? You know, the surface of a computer chip or a motherboard. You know, with kind of. So it is. It is closely based on the river god on the custom house in Dublin. Oh, though. definitely. Yeah, more um, more than it would be for anything you ever heard de- described representing the Shannon. Mm, it's uh, yeah. It's a bit of a travesty, isn't it? And I know Ralph got extremely upset about that, and that's partly why he founded the sh- the sh- the Shannon competition to try and get people to hear more about the story of the Shannon and the the creation of the Shannon and all the other stories that go with it. So, yeah, I'm glad you got involved. So, but that Shannon, yeah, that leads on to to Boand. So, and you're quite right, she's another, another character completely connected with the river. And this time, of course, the River Boyne. So why did you choose Boand to portray? Um... I chose her, I suppose, given that I knew she existed when I was looking up uh, information on Shunan. So she was always in my mind. And my mother's actual maiden name before she was married was Boyne. Ah. So I kind of thought, well, that was the mind made up anyway. So I take it as a sign, perhaps, and went with that. Mm-hmm. And I actually liked the idea that I might get to make something like Newgrange in the background. I always, I always wanted to make something like Newgrange or, or maybe the Cronogues as well in glass. So that was my opportunity there to put Newgrange in. All oh, right, back to your Cronogues again. Yeah, it's a really, and you're right. The background uh, you have in the picture is very strong. But I was also struck that you chose to portray Boand as a strong, mature woman. I mean, that worked for me. That's one of the big differences. Um, between Shinnan and Bowen. Bowen is a strong, mature um, and self-determining uh, married woman, whereas uh, whenever Shinnan is described, she is always a young, she's a young poet, but she's always described as a very young woman. They're quite different and they have different qualities. And I really, really felt that when I saw that picture, I thought, that's Bowen. I, even if I hadn't looked at the label, I would have known precisely who it was. So it certainly worked for me. Thank you. <laughs> so how did you select the elements to go into the overall composition? You mentioned, of course, Newgrange in the background, the Bruna Boyne. Um, well, actually, I chose her as an older lady, first of all, because she seemed to have uh, a little bit longer history. Um, described as the white cow and fair-breasted. And I kind of thought perhaps because she might have had grey hair and, you know, being that little older, you know, the hair fades and skin gets lighter or whatnot. So I kind of assumed maybe she was an older woman. I chose Newgrange on the Boyne, obviously, because I wanted to make it. And I started looking into that. And I thought I read somewhere that she did have a wolfhound. And of course, there are the, there, 
There are the story archaeology, there are the uh, translations, new translations of the Bruno Boyne Dinhianicus poems of Boyne on the website. So you can always, you know, people can always go and look at the stories for themselves. It's quite an interesting and complex story as Boyne's. As I say, she certainly made her own choices. And yes, she is very much connected with the white cow, the Glasgowan. And of course, she's the mother of Angus, the young son who was conceived and born in one day because the doctor chose to stop the sun in the sky so that her whole pregnancy took place in yes. one, one day. So it's a big story and a very important story. It is. And, and I actually read that it could actually be reference to the sun passaging through the Newgrange. So the sun could be um, or the chamber could represent the womb. The womb. And the passage of the sun where the sun stops could represent the time stopping for, say, the pregnancy to take place. So I kind of thought, well, that's a different take on it. No, yeah, I think you're quite right. There's all sorts of, um, I'd say, metaphors or symbolic qualities that the stories have. And they can be read and looked at in so many different ways. But they seem to be right from whichever way you look at them, don't they? They, 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 they have a lot of significance about them and a lot of applicability to the environment in which they're found. They're very much stories in the landscape. And I think that's why your Bowend is in absolutely her own landscape. Thank you. You also mentioned... You also mentioned colour choices and I suppose colour choices are especially important in a leaded glass piece because colour really matters. Oh definitely and I, I actually was hoping that and you can it, it did actually turn out well that the mottled glass that I would pick for say the background and the hillside that it would show up the two tones of colours that were in it with um, a good bit of sun behind it. She's Fairly, fairly white and pale to look at, but really up close, you can notice the difference in the white glass in her hair and just a light pink tone, I suppose, in her skin. Mm. I picked a different kind of colour browns, I suppose, for the wolfhound. Um, it actually started off as a circular piece. I was going to frame it in zinc and then I kind of thought, no, I might make it a, a bit bigger. So that's why I put the Celtic triquetters on the, each of the corners just to kind of square it up so I could fit it into a square frame. It's beautiful. Yeah, and and it and it really works. It really does work. So when I first when I first saw the Bowen glass panel, it struck me that it really needed to be seen, preferably in a, a, a public or community setting, where it could be seen by lots of people. Have you any plans for it? Um, I do. I plan on say hoping that the Bowen Heritage Centre or one of the heritage centres down there got to do with either Newgrange or the Bowen might. Uh, want to display it I suppose for a while it's sitting in my window at the moment it just needs to be properly framed but um, it'd be a, be a sin not to have someone look at it or not have it been seen especially in the environment where it represents That's absolutely what I was thinking it was one of the ones that I was given to look at and assess and that was the first thing I think I wrote a note this needs to be seen in a public or community setting. I think I added that to my assessment notes and, and the right place where the light will shine through it. So I'm, that sounds a perfect place for this to be seen and I'm sure it will be. Well, thank you for sharing a conversation with me. And as I say, do send pictures of your glasswork. Thank you. Thank you very much, actually. You're too kind. Thank you for listening to this Stories in the Landscape conversation. Remember... On www.storyarchaeology.com, you will be able to access the whole archive of Story Archaeology podcasts. 
You can also explore a wide selection of my audio and video stories for children, as well as a range of project and support materials for schools. Also, discover information on a number of international arts events and competitions with which Story Archaeology is closely linked. There will be another Stories in the Landscape conversation along soon. <laughs>